0: hello and welcome to nightmare cinema where we take a look at films from the horror genre and decide whether they are nightmare cinema or a certified nightmare i'm your host sean watkin and today my co-hosts are uh john Donne, king of all films ever and uh johnny cameron that's me Um, so our first episode today we're going to be looking at 1973's the exorcist which was directed by william friedkin and written by William Peter Blatty, based on his novel. Um, so the film received critical and commercial praise and is called The Scariest Film Ever Made. So when I first saw this film, it must have been in like 2000, 2001, and I watched it on VHS with my dad, um, and I'll never ever forget it, um, sat in the living room next to my dad, and we I was terrified. I was shaken, literally shaking. Um by what I was seeing. But when we got to, I know they call it the masturbation scene, but I, I can't call it that because that is not what happens in that scene. I actually retched and thought I was going to vomit. Um, but nothing came up. It was like just the, the reflex of it. Um, so that was my first experience with this glorious film. John, what was your first experience? Mine, because I'm a little bit
1: older than you two. My first experience was, I believe now, on a very illegal copy that my brother had. Brother had, And the Fiore it caused in my house caused made, made me not only want to watch this film, but need to watch this film just to see what all the fuss was about. My mum never used to swear. And I remember her vividly saying, I want that effing thing out of here. So if your mum says that when you're like 12, it's got to be good. It's just got to be good. And I watched it and it just changed everything about my preconceptions of the world i was just like the world is an absolute vile place but i love
0: it and it's been with me ever since and i love it i think that thing about there being evil in the film itself is something that has existed since they were actually making the film and i believe if there was some sort of preacher who was who was like you know, preaching <laughs> that evil was like ingrained within the celluloid of the film, which I just think is mental. Um, so not the content of the film, like the film itself, it's just crazy. So, Johnny, what about what about you? What was when did you first watch The Exorcist, and what did you think when you watched it?
2: I can't actually remember. It was um, it was it must have been years ago, and I remember I would have watched it because of uh, uh well, I would have thought I needed needed to watch it. I definitely watched it before Rosemary's Baby, before uh, probably around the same time as The Omen. Actually, it was probably one of those things when it was on. When I got to a certain age, I think I was must have been about thirteen, and then I got a TV in my room, and it was like if you had the volume on quiet while your parents were in bed, you could stick on like ITV Two, and that would usually have, I mean, usually it was Terminator Two on repeat, but uh, I do I think The Exorcist and The Omen were films that were on it. Um, I remember watching that and obviously being that age didn't really take it in. I, it was funny because it was always similar with Psycho as I, I was expecting it with Psycho because it was a bit, bit older than, but there's was almost like a, a letdown from my point of view because obviously it's built as the scariest film ever and your parents go on and say well, mum did about you know how it was um, how scary it was. Obviously it was of, of its time what I watched it, and it was a good film, but um obviously I, I didn't find it scary at that moment in time. Uh, wait, what you said there of its time, I think it's scary now. I
1: think, I it's, think
0: it's scary now. I think it's it's yeah.
1: still. It's, it's one of the few horror films that's completely stood the test of time. I think it mercilessly sh- shits all over anything that's made now. I think it's 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 horror like there's never been seen before or since it.
0: And so let's let's take that point then around horror film because um, Linda Blair refers to The Exorcist as a theological thriller, and she says that anybody who thinks of it as a horror is wrong. What do you guys think? Do you think it's a horror know? film? Do you think it's- <laughs> She was only in it. <laughs> what do you guys think? Do you think it is a horror film?
1: Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it may not have been designed as a horror film, but it is. It just is. It's. It's. You could call it a psychological drama that just happens to be absolutely terrifying. But that, to me, is a horror film. You mm-hmm. can say it's not a horror film as much as you want. and
0: that's just how they perceive it and they made it and that's them do you think that they wanted to distance themselves from the horror genre because it does it did have especially in the 70s and i suppose it does now um a reputation for you know poor stories poor filmmaking do you think that that's what they were trying to do
1: i think they were very 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 scared of this being another video nasty and Mm -hmm. i think when it, was, when it was released, even the people going to see it were going, that's the best video Nasty I've ever seen. That's how you should do it. And that's why they're so terrified of it being classed as a horror film. Even now, it is it, it, it wins awards every year still for the best horror film ever made. Every top it comes out on horror film top tens and they still say it's not a horror film. However, they did make it so
2: they can do what they want. It is, it is, it is <laughs> a, a horror film, but um, I mean... A lot of that judgment comes off the fact that it's in that book I have called 101 Horror Films You Must See Before You Die.
1: <laughs> well, if it's in there, it's gotta be a fact, doesn't
2: it? No, I, I I think it is a horror film. I understand what she's she's saying. Um in a way, she's it's it's a sort of like she's saying, Well, it's it's not horror film because horror films are they became by definition video nasties. Um, you know, um pretty much throw away garbage. Um, so want to distance themselves from that, I think it's understandable. But yeah, come on, it's a horror film.
0: Come on, Linda. Yeah, I, I do think I do think it is a horror film. And I think some of what Linda says comes from probably William Friedkin's direction. Because I don't know if you know this, but he, he had won an award for a documentary that he'd made. And William Peter Blatty wanted Friedkin to work on this film because of his documentary style. And he wanted it to 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 feel like that does that make sense so you can you film a heart out or, or can you film a theological debate I suppose is is that what he was documenting or what I think it's, that's where she's coming from
1: it's 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 the realism that they put in it that that makes it so different and so unique and so just for for me just sublime and it's 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 like Every, everything that they do that's supernatural or anything like that is countered by something medical.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's when you mix science and, and kind of faith. Well, almost everything apart from the, the climax, obviously. But mm-hmm. oh, the, the, the thing that scares you through the film is when they think of something, when, when something happens, they go to the medical, the doctors and they're like, well, what is it? And they, they, they keep canceling out. Like when, when, she goes for the MRI or whatever it's called um, and they come back and it's a, just a clear image of oh, her brain sorry. and you just sit is that there how they
2: go. used to do MRIs or does that look f-
1: yeah that's a real that's a real MRI the guy who was doing it was a real doctor and he was because what did and that was a real hospital
2: that, obviously now you go in one of those um, those big scanners um, what the hell were it, they doing to her mm-hmm. they injected her with, with something and then like it looked like it looked medieval
1: well, it's, okay. it's a lot like, I imagine, like, bloodletting, like what they used to do in old times, and Sean touched on it the other day, that they, we think that they used to have to do that. We could just Google it, but can't be bothered. And We think what they're doing is they're draining the blood, like some of the blood from her head, so they can get a clearer image, which would make sense. That but sounds glorious
2: uh, that to me. And really they strain the blood from <laughs> oh, some of oh, her head so we can oh, see it better. Oh,
1: all of that entire scene was filmed in a hospital and everything that you saw there, apart from needles going into her, all of that was real. The noise, the they the covered her in sweat and this and the, the pain she was in.
0: And there's an amazing obviously that adds to the how unnerving it sort of is. Um there were some people who walked out of the cinema, and you know, this is part of the film's myth, isn't it? That people walked out of the cinema and felt sick and they were fainting. There were people who left and they left because of that one scene, that oh, mythical yeah. scene. Um, they felt it was a little bit too intense rather than the actual horrific stuff. So let's look at some of the some of the horrific stuff that All happened. Right. So let's let's first look at the Woo-hoo. Let's first look at the film itself, like the story of it. Um, I don't understand why people do not get this as being a frightening story. This is about a little girl who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in the devil, and she gets possessed by a demon or the devil, whatever, whatever it is. She is possessed. Something has invaded her body and she can't get it out and her mum can't help her. None of the grown-ups can help her, the people that are supposed to look after her. And I think that that is... Having something in your body that you have not got any control over is one of the most frightening things <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so let's have a look at some of the, some of the things that happened to Regan. So it starts off really small. We have the noises in the attic, don't we? Um, actually, before that, no, she reports that her bed is shaking a little bit. Um, then we have the noises in the attic. It goes, it goes even more subtle than that. It was
1: even more subtle than that because she's talking to Captain Howdy on a Ouija board and that's the first that's the first clue that you get. and in 1973 when that was a toy it's
2: not a toy now.
1: and if you think it is, you're weird. yeah
2: that's 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 the legacy I, it's it's sort of left I mean I was gonna ask actually because you're old and will know this John that is that the first sort of mainstream Ouija board? We see that has become such a trope within uh, modern More or garbage less, horror films. Yeah. I mean, they made whole films it's, called it's, it's, Ouija.
1: Just a, it's just a dead simple, like, tool to use to introduce something that's not of this earth. It's it, but it was it. It's that was I can't remember it ever being used in any any even film before this. But you have to understand these things were sold in toy shops even when I was a kid, and I was just like you know what i'm like i was just like i'm never gonna touch that ever again and it was a toy it was a toy and hobby and Ed.
2: that's the legacy it's uh it, it's left because i mean i don't believe in any of that stuff but um i think twice before before going ham with a ouija board um you know if i saw my kid playing with one um i'd chuck the ouija board and the child out the house
1: but that, um,
2: But it, it
1: it's it's the way that they start. Like now, it'd be all kinds of light lights and effects. But it's done so subtly. She just talks about it, and then it's forgotten. And then you move on.
0: Yeah. And that's and then it, then it builds
2: from there.
0: Yeah. There's also in that scene, John. You are right. It is like the first clue. I don't remember there being any score in that, and I think now it would be like a really over the dramatic. You know, where they use score for a jump scare, mm. I have a feeling, <laughs> excuse me, but that is probably what it would be like. Rather than you are right, it is probably really, really subtle. There's no score to clue that you should be frightened, it is just, yeah. They,
2: the... they, they 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 zoom in on the Ouija board and um have a big crescendo of something, yeah. Exactly. It's almost
1: as if it, it as if it doesn't focus on the kind of the, the the what what it's doing it's 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 putting it's just giving you a clue as to what's happening, but it's focusing on the relationship between Chris and Reagan. Mm-hmm. That's that's what it's doing. And more like I was watching deleted scenes before, and they go on this huge walk around Washington. Have you seen it? Yeah,
0: um, I have.
1: Yeah, and and they get to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and she she asks her mum why do people die, and I was thinking, why why isn't that in it?
0: But I, obviously, I, I watched it and I think they did they lose the soundtrack for it? Oh yeah that, that was it yeah they've got, they've got the footage but they, they couldn't find the soundtrack for yeah. it so let's all of the the horrific stuff that you actually see on screen and this, this is a point I wanted to make really there are some horrific scenes horrific things sorry that you don't see on camera and obviously the first one that I can think of is probably Karis' mum's death um, you don't really know where she was or how she passed away. Was she still in that hospital? But the second one, and I did, I've never ever got onto this until I watched it the other day when me and John had our little watch party on Skype. Um, never, i never, I, it absolutely gave me chills when I thought about it. And it only occurred to me when um, we first meet Kinderman and he's having coffee with Chris McNeil and he's talking about why, um big dennings was in the house and he talks he talks about big dennings going upstairs and chris says there is no reason on the earth he would have to go up there and then instantly i just thought well why did he what drew him upstairs what was he doing up there absolutely scared the life out of me we don't even see it. we don't even get it it's
1: it's because there's no answers mm-hmm. that's so we've got to put the answers in them because our imagination is scarier than anything else. But this was the first film that did this. So instead of g- closing this the circle with given asking the questions and giving us answers, it just goes, Well, why do you think he was up there? And because we we immediately fear the worst, we go, Ugh, with like that. And he yeah. was a bit of a creepy character, let's face it. Yeah, he was well, a you
2: strange, don't. Strange man. You don't see him, um, you don't see him die, do you?
0: No, that's the thing.
2: You don't so- see that's, Any of that. If, I was just making sure because I went. I think I went to the kitchen around that
0: same time and then come back and he was dead. Um, it's it's such a critical part of the story and you don't get to see it. So you you see you see when she um when Chris hears the news that um Dennings is dead, you see Chris about to say something to Sharon and for me it's like she's about to say I think it was Reagan. And even later on, I think she does admit it to somebody. She's like, I think "Yeah, she, she does. She it said it says it to Karis. Karis. Yeah, she does say it to Karis later on that that she believes she killed him." So, such a critical part of the story you don't even get to see it. I think that's brilliant and very creepy.
1: There's another. There's another. There's another kind of strand to that, though. Um, did he kind of have a clue as to what was going on with her? This is Denning's. And was he the one that put the
0: crucifix under a pillow? This is and the was he? I think he's the Why why did he have it? Why would he take that with him? That's a weird thing to take. And I assume that it's not something that Chris McNeil would have in her house because she's not not a religious person. So I, um
2: is is that bit where um Kara sees uh, mm-hmm. his mum going down the steps to the subway? Is that foreshadowing anyway? Um so obviously when he dies he um sort of barrel rolls out the window but then obviously goes down that enormous uh, flight of stairs.
1: What do you mean?
2: So when Karis has a vision, doesn't he, of his mum, I think it's his mom. it's an owl woman, um, going going down the steps of the subway. Yeah. It's... And obviously it's sort of, I don't know whether that's to indicate it's... that she's, haunting she's dying.
1: That, haunting that image as well, mm. the way that that's filmed as well. That's just like but, madly filmed to me. Is
0: she's, that
2: like in indicative that she's that was her dying? Because at that point she's she's not actually died. As she, no, but you know she's no, she in,
0: she has died at that point in the hospital. That, that is his, it's his nightmare.
1: Yeah, that that's him kind but of don't coming. Forget, to terms with her, don't forget in that the
0: the the dream, calendar. you see flashes of the demon's face as well. Yeah. So, it's like a question of where is the dream coming from? Is it a dream? Is it the demon playing games, whatever? So, I think I do get what you're saying. I think I do get what you're saying about the stairs and the ending.
2: I, 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 I don't know whether it was like, it's obviously in the dream, if that's her sort of quote unquote passing over or whatever in his mind, and then. Obviously, I just there's there's a lot of stairs in The Exorcist. Yeah, it's a, it's a,
1: it's a, it's another thing. It does it doesn't explain that as well. Why mm. is she going into a subway? Why not? Why? But that's what makes it so good because
0: we have to figure it out.
1: And yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so let's take a look at some of the um, key characters that we've got in in, in the film. So obviously the. The Exorcist is named after The Exorcist, Father Merrin who is hardly in it. He sort of bookends the film, doesn't he? You start with him and you end with him. And then you've got this these complicated character journeys in between. Um, one of the most striking differences for me was Chris McNeil in the film versus Chris McNeil in the book. Um, in the book, she's got some sort of interest in, like, not so much the occult, but, like, the other side of life like the supernatural possibly side of life and that is just not in the film at all and in fact I think there are questions in the book where uh uh, Chris McNeil has a, a book and part of it covers demon possession or exorcism or something and there's sort of a question as to whether Reagan has read that and is acting out because don't forget what is happening to Reagan is her dad has already left her He's off in Europe and her mom is shooting a film at the moment. So that girl is going to have these feelings of abandonment or neglect or whatever. I know her mom is there. She's there a constant all the way through the film. But before that, she's been shooting this film with Birk Dennings. I think she's probably not been around as much. So I do think it it, it sort of the book plays more on the psychology of the characters than the film. Probably does. Have you have you read the book, Johnny? I have not. It is on your
2: reading list, so I'll I'll agree with all the points you've made. You've you've read it for me, and I agree. John, Excellent John, analysis, John. I
0: know you've read the book. What do you think? She
1: she, in the book, she's a much 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 more approachable and accessible, uh, lady than she is in the film, she, especially to um to Sharon, who. It has grounds to sue for bullying, if I'm completely honest. This is even before all the possession stuff starts. She's not very nice to her. Um, and considering she stands by her side all the way through this, she's still not very nice to her at the end. And the Chris McNeil in the book is much more... It's You can see how much Ooh. she loves her. She wants her there. And it's not as an assistant, it's as a friend in the book. You don't get any of that in the film. And I don't know why that's done. I don't know if it's because they wanted to show her how closed off she's becoming
0: i think Chris McNeil is not particularly friendly with anybody in the film the doctors included when when shit gets real at the start yeah because she's looking for answers but if you look at that scene where she sat with those like 18 doctors in that room she is pretty vile to all of them and even father carrie she's not warm She's not warm to Kairos at all. She's, she's just really cool. Yeah. But that's because she's that's so... That's
1: complete contrast in the book. Though. Yeah,
0: you're right. But which one is more real, the way that she behaves in the book or the way she behaves in the film, where you would be absolutely wrought? Just give me the answers. That is what I, I get from it. Just help yeah. me. Well, is that the actress's interpretation of how
2: how she how she feels that character would be within those lines, within those moments? Wait.
1: It, it's an amazing performance and you can't argue with that but what I would have liked to have seen is I would have liked to have seen her much more warm at the beginning and then go on there I wouldn't change anything about the journey i just have her much more warm at the beginning mm. but not just to Reagan because she is really good with Regan but to everyone around mm. her because she's quite cold to everyone around her at the beginning and it's a complete contrast to the book and I like I would have loved to have seen the, the complete decline of it I'm smiling thinking about it <laughs> I'm just
0: horrible no I get but... exactly what you're saying from from a dramatic standpoint it, it is enjoyable to see isn't it? it it is it just is
1: yeah it's it once you get over that small thing now it is just masterfully done like it's just it's it's acting f- from a different planet mm. all all of the main four performances in it are just it doesn't get better than that you can't get performances better than that it's like the it's like the benchmark for uh, acting performances and lead roles, and there's
0: four of them. I know if you if you look at scenes with, with, you know where Linda Blair is doing these absolutely vile things, um, and then you look at like the behind the scenes footage that I, I've just watched this morning, the comparison between this really pretty little girl, um. It, uh, smiling and joking with the director and the other actors and then the intensity and the horror of her performance i think it's it, it's shocking like to see that the, the contrast and if you've not seen it watch some of the behind the scenes footage well that's how mean. much
2: how much was she involved with that obviously the the voice the voiceovers and and such that they did um, for the uh, the voice of the the so called devil in it, but you know, did did she sort of know what the scene was going to look like? It's sort of like you know, did they they say right, just do this, and then they edited it in such a
0: way. So for for some of the scenes, particularly, I can't call it the masturbation scene. It makes it's me called the crucifix scene. You know, do you know where you get that masturbation oh. scene from? Because in all of the documentaries I've watched, they call it the masturbation. In everything scene. I've ever heard, it's called the crucifixion. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm missing yeah, it. In, in
1: um, academic papers, it's called the crucifix Scene.
0: Maybe because they feel uncomfortable saying masturbation. Unlike academia. you, who seems
1: to have no problem with well,
0: it. Yeah, I'm am completely fine with it. <laughs> However, crucifix Scene, we will call it. Um, in in sorry, in the crucifix Scene, they didn't explained to her what was happening obviously I think she was like 12 years old um so basically what she had on her lap was a box with sponge um and uh, like stage blood in it um and she was just told just bring the crock star crucifixory down into the box that's it and look frightening obviously um and that was all she was told so in the scenes where you can see the crucifix actually going in between the actor's legs. That is not Linda Blair. That is the, the standing. I want to say standing. Yeah. Was she a stunt woman on as well? I don't know. She was just, I think
1: she, she talks about the way that Freed can kind of made her, uh, well, got her comfortable with doing these things. Didn't, didn't she? And she was like, she's nothing but praise. And you look at him, look at her with him now, and you look at her with him back then, and you think, if that was now, you'd be arrested, lad. You'd, you'd...
0: Yes, absolutely. I was th- John. I was thinking that myself because I was watching it this morning, and he's like, you know, really close to her face, like yeah. making her laugh and like hugging her and stuff. And I was thinking, oh my god, you'll be on a list.
1: Yeah, but it it is complete innocence, and yeah, this absolutely. Is, this, is, this is not. Let's go and hang Billy Friedkin. Um, but you just can't do stuff like that. That's that's why making this film now, the way that they made it then, is just impossible.
0: Yeah, he was he was definitely trying to make her feel comfortable on sex, yeah. doing some really difficult dialogue that she didn't feel comfortable with. Um, you know when she's like shouting,
2: "Fuck me, suck a dick, whatever." So obviously, I take it those bits were overdubbed. So yeah, is, is, is a lady called? Is she is she, a lady called Mercedes McCambridge? Did that? Piece of trivia. Is um. So is she
1: did a sat nav thing ages ago? it's great. Did she
2: in a normal voice, not in the yeah, voice of. So now in the exorcist. Oh, voice. cool. Do yeah, you could buy it, and can you still? We didn't get it. Go on, Johnny. Johnny, make your point. Um. No, right. Oh. Yeah. So Linda Blair, did she? Was she saying the same things, or was she saying words that sounded like it, so they could just—you couldn't tell on the overdub? I I often wonder about these these things with films, and obviously, kids are
0: maybe more exposed to data that sort of language and such. Um, I don't think they would have wasted the time trying to think of words that would look the same on camera. So I would say, and I do believe, no, actually, no, I think she did say those words because in some of some of the documentaries I've seen, she does say. About how uncomfortable she was saying those words. So, I was just gonna say though, I'm, I'm sure when
2: she says "fuck me," um, she's the camera's not looking at her face, it's looking at the back of her head. Why is she saying it to that there's, there's there's
1: there's one way she does and one way she doesn't. She definitely says it, but like she definitely mouths it. But I don't know, like. I, I i don't think they'd be that bothered about it to be honest to just say you're an actor you're allowed mm-hmm. to swear this is your one chance to swear and she probably would have been more bothered about that than the other scenes because she doesn't understand the other scenes she's 12 remember so she's probably that's why she's made a bit of a song and dance about mm-hmm. this because she, she knows she's not allowed to do this like i think oh. she was
2: shocked when she grew up and, and then saw sort of what she was um what she was doing at some point did the after debrief and said listen you know when you sort of stab stabbing that box. Uh yeah, I don't I I, I that's actually quite yeah, a good question
1: that now, because nowadays they would have been supported all the way through life to, to, to though. Yeah, <laughs> but like this is she would have gone right we made a money throw. But did the the relationship between all four of the main actors would have helped with that. She hmm. she like she saw Billy Freakin as a, as another dad basically and her mum and dad were on the set all the time and I, I I mean, she wasn't a a, a a dumb kid like she was just very very innocent, which is why she was like kind of picked.
0: So one of the characters I really want to talk about is Father Damien Callis, who I think has got one of the most interesting story arcs of the entire film. Um, when we first meet him, he's having a bit of a crisis of faith. But do you, John, particularly, do you think that this is more around? his crisis of faith or because he's also a a psychiatrist, isn't he for the church? Is it his crisis of faith he's struggling with or the, the people that he's treating? Is it their crisis crises? Of faith?
1: I, I think it's, it's, it's both. I think that his, if he wasn't having the crisis of faith that he's having, he wouldn't be able to help anyone else. And I think that's what keeps him going. Um, Cause he's not a, a kind of, Passionate priest like Merrin, he's not as you, as you would say a man of the cloth. He leans towards mm. more, way more towards psychiatry. He's, I mean, if mm. he if he wasn't wearing the collar, he wouldn't maybe he was a priest, to be honest. And um, mm. I think that's very, very well done. And it's 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 what he goes through the drugs and back into it. As I mean, if anyone went through that, you, you would instantly be religious for the rest of your life, <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. But
2: the rest of his life was very short, though, afterwards. Yeah, yeah, good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those three seconds, he was... Yeah, uh, for those yeah. three
1: seconds, he had his faith back. But it was his faith that saved him, so good job he got it back, really. Um Yeah, it is. But, yeah, it's, in the beginning of the film, he is, he is purely a psychiatrist who... I think he does, he, he does the job that he does just to keep himself getting up in the morning. I don't think there's anything...
0: Yeah, and when when he when he re when he meets Ari Reagan, and you know, she does those things like the drawer opens, and he has to do it again, and she's like, "Nah." Um, he even then doesn't believe what he's seeing is what Chris McNeil thinks yeah. she is seeing or experiencing.
1: I think I think if they brought Merrin in then, who would have just gone, "Oh my god, this is a possession," and Ben Max von Sirdal all End over. The film. What <laughs> they needed was. A priest who knows what he's talking about, but also doesn't believe. And the, the 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 way that they do it, they bring him in, and he's just he goes through all of the motions and he's like still not convinced. And it's not until they see actual yeah. I don't want to say the word miracles, but the the, the really extreme stuff that he kind of got well
0: that, what, that's what's a doing? really good
2: point. Go on, Johnny. Sorry. I was just thinking, what's the opposite of a miracle? Is there an autonym for that? An anti-miracle.
0: <laughs> yeah, we'll go with just that. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing. Even even in the, the last few scenes when we fit, when Meron comes to the house, he Father Caddis says something to him, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. I think he says something like, Let me tell you about the personalities. So far, I think there are three. And he says personalities, which is a psychi- psychiatric thing, not demons or whatever, which would be more of a faith thing. So even at that point, he still is not convinced that what they're dealing with is a demon possession. And then he, he's obviously asked for an exorcism because he thinks it will help the family, but maybe there's, not for religious reasons.
1: I think it's in the same conversation, actually, when he comes in and he says... Would you like to know anything about the, the, the girl? And Marin just looks at him and goes, No. Because it's like it's like he knows what he's there for. He doesn't need to know what her personality is like, because you the way that the reason that you do that is to see if she's a troublemaker or not. And she does mm. he does he knows what is what's going on. But if he comes in, if he comes in when when uh, Karis comes in, then the film, as you said, is over straight away.
2: Mm. It's like there's ambiguity as well with the yeah, the tape as well. He has it analyzed the tape he makes, and it turns out she's she's not talking um she's not talking Latin or some uh, sort of uh, ancient Hebrew or, or or whatever um as have become sort of tropes in these films. Uh, he says she's speaking backwards, which obviously lends to the ambiguity. Um, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that you know she could be doing that in some sort of psychosomatic state um, but you know it, it does also lend itself to, to the fact that um, there could be something otherworldly going on you know how is a 12 year old girl uh, me- meant to learn all these, these things consciously backwards what she says um, is amazing you know. as well though she she like
1: I mean I am no one and then she, she, she kind of talks about a fear but that's to me that's like what's inside her like fighting with her personality and again it doesn't explain it it's like why would why would this demon give up its only weakness i i i just love filling in the blanks because it scares me even more
0: i love that scene where Karis is listening to that tape and the phone rings and he absolutely drops his bottle like instantly <laughs> but I know that behind the scenes that Freed can got that effect by firing a gun didn't he to to shock um, him into having that reaction
2: I don't remember that. are you kidding I I don't remember do you, do you I, remember I, him, I, Johnny? I watched it last night but I did go to the kitchen a fair few times um oh, well maybe you should have paused there <laughs> yeah but uh, it was two hours long you're kidding um but yeah it reminds me of the bit actually um, in tubular bells i remember we listened to it in music class and it's obviously it's quite creepy and then um mm. there's a big bit of sense that happens um and i absolutely shat myself um
0: in the in the in the tubular bells
2: well yeah. in the music yeah. lesson yeah but in the in the, tubu- in the tubular oh,
0: bit.
2: yeah um Yeah, it's um, it's a really exceptional piece of music. A lot of these sort of seminal horror films often do have exceptional bits of sort of trademark music. Um, It's probably, I mean, it's it's so. I don't don't understand how how you can get a piece of music to be you know to coincide so well with the film, um, because of how sort of unsettling it is. Um, You know, I've I've certainly not really had anything. As good, yeah. uh, so sort of All the used of the sound
1: in it are just, they just way ahead of its time. And again, in 1973, there's no synthetic sound. It all would have had to have been either folied or recorded, like in a, in a practical way. And everything from the screams to the to the weird roars to the kind of little snippets and behind the scenes, it's all so purposely done and so and done to unsettle you and i think even the music like you know what that music is if you hear it when uh, you hear three seconds and you know what it is straight away and that's mm. it's it comes back to jaws like that's you hear that music you know something shit's going to happen and that's the same with this and whereas George you just think of a few moments and then a shark blown up at the end with this spoilers bring it's like it's it's a it, it's a form, form of fucking PTSD post traumatic like, you hear that disaster. music and you don't just hit. think about one scene or two you think about the whole thing the, film. the whole saga yeah. what 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 the Exorcist is is a, a man made piece of PTSD
0: that's what it is and i love it for it So I just wanted to talk really quickly about the feel and the look of the film because I think that lighting has got a massive part to play in The Exorcist. If you think about some of the more horrific things that you see, they're always, always shown in a really bright bedroom. I'm going back to the crucifix scene, which I seem a little bit obsessed with. (laughs) Um, If you think about the light in that scene, it is glaring, isn't it? It's like, I'm gonna show you this and the horrible things that this say do not hide in the dark. They're, they're there and you're gonna watch it right now. Here it is.
2: And then, then she showed someone's face in it. Just does. Yes. Yeah, just, just for just for effect. Like I've
1: I've never thought about how brightly lit all of the horrendous scenes are in it. There's hardly anything in the dark in it. It's the, mm-hmm. the, 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 it's like they make a point of 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 putting an awful lot of light on things, and yeah, I've never realised that before.
0: Oh my god, I have realised something about the film that you haven't thought of. I've probably thought about it subconsciously. This is a day to go down in history. You haven't, Eliot. But it's like, it, it, I mean, thinking about
1: it now, all, all, of, all of the really horrific scenes are so brightly lit. And it is, it must be. We're not going to shy away from this, as in filmmakers and the, the story. It's like, we're going to put these, these things front and centre and you're going to experience them. And you, don't, you, you do experience them. You don't just watch them, you experience them. And there's so many moments in that even now I you consider turning away and it, it, there's, there's, there's no
0: hiding from it. I'm trying to think of a scene in the film that is actually quite dark in terms of light lighting. Yeah,
1: even the ones at the end when they they're, they're in the, the really cold room is still really well lit for what it is. Mm. Like there's mm. nothing you, you, you have to squint or look hard at. If it, it wants to show you, it'll show you. And, and yeah. to me, that's that's the beauty of it. It's like it's uncompromising in every respect. It's so it's mm. such a it it the the, the 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 feel of the film reminds me of the old seventies cop shows like Dirty Harry and obviously um oh what's it called the one he did before this. It's the French Connection. Yeah.
0: French Connection, yeah. Um, was, yeah, yeah,
1: and and really gritty, real life stuff. So if you're watching Dirty Harry, and then the next thing you arrest someone who's possessed by the devil, that's that's never been seen before, and that's what The Exorcist kind of is. It's a gritty, in a way, mystery where the the bad guy is supernatural and everything's tangible everything's real everything's got some sort of physical presence about it and it's it grounds it in reality the way that no all of the other horror films just don't seem to do and that's mm. that's god to me
0: yeah and a lot of the effects were done on set, well, all of the effects were done on set, unless you watch the extended director's cut where they added some CGI bits which were ugh, ridiculous.
2: The bit, the bit the bit, I saw in the version I watched last night um, it had some pretty bad CGI of the projectile vomit, um, but I don't know if that's been added in. Not the stuff when it's on um, uh, Karis's face um, just as it's sort of literally projecting from a gob. Um, it looks like uh, one of the uh, the laser guns from like Star Wars or something um, in the seventies. But I don't know if that's been added in post. That's
0: really weird. Um, I've never noticed no, that No, it's not
1: on the version mm-hmm. that I've got because I wouldn't know. that. I, mm-hmm. I, one of the one of the things I love, the, I just got a list of things that I love about this film. But one of the things I love the absolute most is the practical special effects. And the way that it mm. it's 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 an art again in that film. It's it's pure art. It's it's a man or a woman standing there, painstakingly going through something to make it look amazing. I didn't know because I was under the impression that Reagan did. I mean, Linda Blair did a certain amount of scenes up until way before the crucifixion scene. But I watched watching it again, and I cause especially watching it on Blu Ray. On Huge TV when it's really clear. I didn't know it was her until so I was like, Oh my god! And she's she's almost the whole film.
2: Like that first scene, um, probably where the I imagine one of the first bits of special effects comes into play, where she's sort of uh, interested in how they did it because she's basically just head banging. Um, the bed, she's like, She's like,
0: Where's this? Unlike an axis, and then she's going like that. Oh, so. I can answer that for you. Oh, please do. So they had they set up this rig that was attached to her back, um, and she was sort of fastened into it. But the the back of the rig was m- like metal plates. Mm. Um. So basically, there was someone on the other side of the wall, pushing and pulling her it was, up and well, down. Were her
2: legs like beneath the bed then, because that can't be great no to your
0: spine. No, she was. It was at the seventies. No, it so. well it. It wasn't good for a spine, and there's a story that Linda 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 Blair tells, um, where she was they were shooting that film, and it's the it's the actual footage that they use in the in the film, where the fastening on the rig had come undone, and the metal. So she was going like, she was going back forwards Mm. as the thing was going backwards and jerking it back into the. Into the metal plate. So her screams and her crying in that scene, or her actually being hurt by the rig. So she's not acting in in that scene. So that's how that was so.
1: Ta-da. There was another kind of issue like that, wasn't there? It was just after after the crucifix scene when she stabs her mum. When she stabs her mum, when she slaps her mum. And they, they wanted it to be kind of like forced back, then they said they had to put the cable on it. And it's actually in the film when, when Ellen Bernstein gets forced back, she smacks her head on the thing. And apparently, she kind of really kicked off about it. Mm. I think she, she nearly got the, the grip fired or something.
0: Mm. But uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, she she did she have to go to, uh, she. Did, I think she had to go to hospital, didn't she, for a little yeah. bit? And then she, then she was smacked her down head down like, for a few weeks
2: this there, there's, there's, there's anything like that sort of around, obviously, the omen. There's a lot of sort of, uh, I don't know if it was for publicity or there was a lot of things, you know, saying, oh, these people have died, these people have been injured, whoever's, you know, these people working on it. Was there anything such as that that occurred
0: on The Exorcist? There were a few things, um, and, you know, it, it's part of the myth and the legend of the film, isn't it? Um a few people apparently died. Someone lost their the baby. It was, I think it was born stillborn, maybe. But I think probably one of the most interesting things is that the set burnt down while they were mid production. Um and it shut them down for like six weeks or something like that. Um so the set burnt down, but the fire people, fire brigade, <laughs> couldn't couldn't figure out no i couldn't think what they were what they would be called so the fire fire brigade couldn't figure out whether it was um whether it was arson or it was accidental they couldn't find any evidence it was just sort of like the fire was was there so yeah that's probably one of the most <laughs> there's a few stories i thought of though. yeah. that sounds like the
2: fire bloke in charge just didn't want to much <laughs> investigating the fire was just there it was now the 70s started. that was probably him
0: doing his job probably yeah it probably was <laughs> future yeah um, okay so let's move on and let's talk about how the exorcist has influenced cinema and cinema goers um so john do you want to do you want to start Are you sure you want me to do this yes go on because for me it's
1: it's not only inspired just it's the black Sabbath of horror films it's inspired everything that's come after it as it terms horror films and a vast majority of mainstream films would we wouldn't we possibly wouldn't have without this film it's it's not just important an important horror film because it is a horror film and I'll fight for Een if he wants <laughs> but it's an important film for so many levels because it's physical filmmaking at its absolute best. It's a story that just completely captivates everyone. And it also happens to be utterly terrifying. And you see it and you you can't get it's had It's had parodies. It's had spoofs. It's had remakes. It's had sequels. It's, there's a bit of The Exorcist in every single horror film that's ever made. Anything to do with religion, The Exorcist is there. Any type of blasphemy. It's there, it's 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 one of those films that stops being a film and becomes a cultural and social phenomenon, and it it it, it it's it's an all timer It's if if you if you if you're a horror director, you love The Exorcist, or you appreciate The Exorcist, or you respect The Exorcist. Nine times out of ten, you love it because it's the reason that you're making horror films today unless you rely Roth that would be because of Quentin
0: Tarantino and Johnny what about you what are your views on that do you think it's influenced a lot of cinema
2: oh yeah definitely I mean looking back on it it's a bit like that thing where you're in high school and you read Romeo and Juliet um, and and such I'm, I'm making a, a point here and, um, <laughs> and then um, you know you read Shakespeare and you think well this is you know, this, this is cliched. Um, this has all all been done before and you realize that that's the source material for everything having been done before. Like John said, if you are making a horror film, um, if you're directing a horror film, you're probably doing it because the way you're doing it because of the exorcist, even if you don't know that you're doing it because of the Exorcist, you're doing it because people that have uh, predecessed you, that, uh, you, that's all right in a sentence um even people you might have grown up uh or gone through college or whatever admiring for the way they make films you know they would have made it because basically because of the exorcist the way they make things be the way that you make things now that one specific thing was we touched on it before um unless you cut it out at this point um is the uh, the whole the wheezy board trope um which is obviously it's you know, in of itself has, film sequels, uh. You know, you you look at the start of franchise called Ouija? There's it's pretty much in any modern horror film now, um. And uh, I'm not entirely sure it is, but I wouldn't be surprised if that Ouija board scene, early on in The Exorcist, is is something that was was picked up on. Like John said before, it was thought of as a, uh, you know, nothing, um. Nothing really sinister about it. It was like a kid's game, and then there's this entire world um, that's that's opened up, probably because because of The Exorcist. Um, I can't remember was um, was always you got involved in Poltergeist.
0: No, it was the TV.
2: No, I left a gap there so you could edit it out, and that didn't sound like an idiot. Did it work?
0: It did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. It's been extremely influential on a lot of horror films. And also that I think, I think exorcism and possession films have become a subgenre of horror. Um, and then I think the only other time I've ever been scared by an exorcism film was The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which, again, is not a straightforward horror film. You could argue that it's a courtroom drama. It's a good um, film, that. It is a really and good film. I think I
2: think we've agreed vehemently in the past that uh, this is probably a, a whole episode in and of itself, but um, there was no need for the bit in the end. You know the bit I'm talking about? Because it's very, very ambiguous and it does a really good job of it up until the point where something happens in the end, which is just like... just guide you, takes your hand and goes and pulls you and goes, no, this is what the film is. This is the right answer or this is the wrong answer. And it really mm-hmm. didn't need it, which obviously still irks me to this day because up until then, um, I thought it was a really good film and surprised at how good it actually was. Um, going back to the ambiguity thing and because and the demon doesn't give a name, does it? In a lot of these, uh, in a lot of exorcism films, it gives a name. Or, you know, it's it's not thought to be the devil. But in in The Exorcist, it says it's the devil. Now, could that be taken to be... I mean, realistically, Regan would know about the devil, um, but she wouldn't really know of any of the, the extended law, demonology, any of that. So could that maybe lend itself to, again, the ambiguity that that it's, it's the only thing she knows of that could possibly be, you know, uh, possessor? So... Maybe you know it's it's it is psychosomatic. Obviously, it's not, but yeah,
0: absolutely. I do get I do get your point, yeah. But you've also got to remember that she says she refers to herself as um, as there being multiple multiple things in in her, Um, because she says when he says um, something like, "Oh, it's, it's the talk." She says like his his mom's in there. Um, with yeah. us she says with us doesn't it's she so does does the the demon mean the demon and Reagan does he mean yeah. the demons and Reagan plus his mom? like everyone's in there having a party She's
2: just knocking and on them. a lot of them knocking about that man
0: yeah okay then so let's quickly wrap up so let's take a quick vote do you think this is nightmare cinema or a certified nightmare John do you really name tell you? yes go this on is- for the record,
1: the 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 undisputed king of nightmare cinema, and one of the undisputed kings of cinema of all time.
2: i Johnny. Is that a yes, Sam? It's okay. a
1: resounding re- yes.
0: Johnny, what do you think?
2: Wait, hold on. Still getting the hang of this zoom thing. Uh, you have oh, to say something so do as well. I, do you want to tell us? <laughs> I thought the thumb was sufficient. Um Um. so yeah I can appreciate its legacy and where it's come from. Even though I didn't find it scary per se, um we can still understand the impact it's had on, on cinema and as a film in itself it, it's a good it's a good film. I think I mentioned Rosemary's baby before um and that's not particularly scary. I find that scarier than the Exist actually, but um but that's that that's just me, um, which we'll get into on that particular episode. But um that I didn't find that like absolutely scary, but I still really enjoyed it as a film. It rocks.
0: It rocks. So are you gonna answer the question then? <laughs> Is it a nightmare cinema or a certified nightmare?
2: It's uh John didn't say it. He did. Or did he?
0: The undisputed king of nightmare cinema. All
2: right, yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It is nightmare cinema.
0: Way, and I obviously think it's a nightmare <laughs> cinema. So, The Exorcist is nightmare cinema, which can only be a good thing. Imagine if it wasn't. <laughs> Imagine oh that. God, what would we do? <laughs> what would we do? Okay, so thanks everyone for listening. Um, Next time we're going to be talking about Clive Barker's Hellraiser, which I'm really, really looking forward to discussing. Um, But thank you very much for listening. Bye. It will tear your soul apart. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Thanks.
2: (laughs) Okay, thanks for listening. Bye.
0: Bye.